And welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham, and we have a special guest in the studio today. I'm really happy to welcome Sua Cravens to the show. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. What's up, Sua? Yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. Good to be here. Nice to have you for sure. Well, you you get to talk about USC football, not only with us, but for USC. You're now a radio analyst for the school. So we'll get into that, your return to USC. So, of course, we'll talk about Sua and his contributions. We'll talk about San Jose State. It's game week, people. I'm excited. We actually get to see a game in the game Coliseum on Saturday. And we'll talk about USC's depth chart. They released it a day earlier. They recently released it today on Thursday. So some surprises there. We'll talk about that. And of course, wherever you're watching Periscope, YouTube, or Facebook, put your comments, questions, or concerns, and we'll put it up on the screen. We love hearing from you guys. You can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. I'll put up your tweet on the screen. You can also call us, 5124Tunnel. If you want to talk to Sua, ask him a burning question, go ahead and do it. Uh, Chris Trevino is actually screening calls today, so he'll have fun talking to you guys. Uh, but like I said, it's game week. Sua, first off, Welcome back to USC. I know you were back. You're trying to finish your degree, but now you're in like an official capacity as a broadcaster. Right. Yeah, now I'm back, back. Yeah, you're yeah. back. I was a student, but now I guess I can say I'm somewhat faculty. So sort that's of. Nice. Yeah, sort I'm going to fix your mic a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. That's I'm still learning. As yeah, you no, that's it's okay. okay. No. It's a learning curve for right. sure. What's it like for you being now an analyst when you were a player? It's completely different. I mean, it's kind of like an interview, but instead of, you know, being a narcissist and talking about myself, <laughs> I have to study everybody else and and talk about the players now so it's it's a different curveball i'm dealing with but i like it i like it so far nice i think it's a very good choice uh so you know if you don't know and we were talking about this before the show like max brown you know former usc quarterback has done a great job uh doing that he's actually going to do some pac-12 network work and they contacted sua to come on there and it's great because you know you want someone that has that insider knowledge you were in the locker room you were in the meetings you've done all those things you've hit people you've made picks <laughs> you you've represented the school at Pac-12 Media Day but you also have a, a good personality. It's not just the knowledge, too. You be, have to be able to express it. So I think I'm really looking forward to it. I think you're going to do a real good job there. Yeah, yeah well, I'm excited. I'm definitely excited. was not expecting to get the call. When I did, it was a shocker. But uh, I jumped at the opportunity. So very excited. That's awesome. And speaking of Saturday, you're going to lead the team out of the tunnel. How yeah. Are you excited for that? What are the, the emotions? Well, you know, playing three years at USC, I've probably run out that tunnel, countless practices, spring ball, fall camp, and then the games, maybe – I'd say a few hundred times. And I never once thought about tripping until now <laughs> where I'll be in street clothes and leading the team out. And I'm like, do I run faster than everybody else? Do I look down? Do I wave at people? I don't know what uh, to yeah, do. A... Now I'm, yeah, I'm just in my head about it now. So Okay. Do you like put on cleats? Will right. that make you feel better? Should like... I wear gloves? Should I put on some like eye black? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Definitely eye black. They're, they're that, would be, that would be badass. Right. Well, but so here's a good thing. You're going to be coming from the pregame show. 
You're, well, if you're coming from like a tailgate and you had a few adult beverages, then maybe you trip. Like, but if you got to work before, then at least you probably be, you know, in your full capacity to run out that tunnel. Yeah, I'll be amped up. I'll be around the crowd, and <laughs> I'm sure I'll, I'll get their cheers early, so I'll get that out of my system, and, and hopefully I can keep up a good tempo to run with these guys. You know, these young guys are pretty fast. True. Yeah. Are you out of shape? What's your shape level? Can you run? Out of- <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a father now, and I still work out. Thank you. I still you work out. You don't have out. the dad bod. I don't have – well, not yet. <laughs> I still work out, I think, four or five days a week. I run two miles a morning, well, there you go. and I'm still 235 pounds. So, I don't – Wow. Yeah, I don't know. You don't look that, be that big. It's yeah. the Samoan jeans. So <laughs> – yeah, I, I think I'm in shape, but we'll see on Saturday. Okay, well, we wish you luck. It's Thank funny because we've had Taylor Mays uh, on the show and stuff, and we've had him do stuff too. And, you know, he was like super fast guy yeah. when he was in there. I don't, but now he's out, you guys are both out there. Maybe uh, you could have like a race or uh, something. Oh, no, Taylor was certified 4'2 at 245 pounds. So I think. <laughs> but do you can, think now? Do you think he is now? I think he can roll out of bed and run a 4'5. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I wouldn't put it past It's so him. funny with it. He's just like, I mean, I don't know what the interaction has been like with him, but he's just like this. Such, he has another cool personality now that he's working there and stuff. But you'd look at the guy and he's big, but you were like, that guy was like one of the fastest guys at the combine. Yeah. It just doesn't seem yeah. right, right. Probably the, one of the fastest guys, not the fastest guy on that USC team that yeah. won all those Rose Bowls. <laughs> and they had Joe McKnight and CJ Gable and just a bunch of ballers. And here goes the biggest guy on the team that's the fastest. So. Crazy. Athletic Crazy. freak. Well, I'm talking about San Jose State. I remember, Sue, you tweeted a couple weeks back that you were doing prep for the game, and you kind of warned USC fans. You said, hey, this is not going to be a cupcake team. Explain your reasoning behind that tweet. Yeah, I mean, th- this San Jose State team is not like the you know San Jose team that we expect them to be. It's not a sub-500 uh, team. They're not a team that you know finished somewhere in the middle of the Mountain West. They are a team that won the Mountain West. They overtook it from Boise, who dominated that conference, and uh, their first loss came in the in the championship in, the, in our bowl game, I believe. Yeah, right? the bowl game. It was kind of COVIDy too. Yeah, I think. so that was a tough one. Exactly. They had a lot of opt outs and stuff. So this is not a slouch. They have All American at D line and, and Kate Hall. They have All American, uh, I believe, left tackle, and then they have their running back coming back and Tyler Tyler Nevins, I believe that's his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah I believe. It's yeah. Him. So and then Nick Starkle at quarterback, who just showed that he completely tore apart Southern Utah. So if the Trojans take this game lightly like it's a cupcake game and they don't put them away early. We're going to see ourselves in a dogfight in the third quarter. Yeah. yeah. As a player, how do you come out ready to play your first game, especially when you've had time off in the offseason? Well, I mean, the the first game of the season is always so exciting because, you know, your fans are there. Uh, it's, you're at home. You know, it's the first time you get to hit somebody else not wearing the same colors. And on top of that, just that, that amplifies it. It's a non-COVID season. Well, I wouldn't say a non-COVID season, but the fans are there. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not quiet, so it's a different atmosphere. And we all know how the Coliseum gets at in the morning or night. It doesn't matter. When the, when the fans come to the Coliseum, it's just a different atmosphere. So I expect these guys to be juiced and, and ready to ball. Nice. Ryan, what is your preview for this game? What are you expecting? Sorry, I was just like finishing up an NFL draft, a like fantasy draft. It's funny. I got some Priorities, Sue. Sue was giving me some advice. There. Right. <laughs> I really just had like a kicker left when the thing started. So it was good. We got the it done in like an hour. Meaning our show, but yes. But then the show. Priorities. Priorities. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. Sue like comes here, has never been to the office before, obviously. So I have to Keely go pick him up because yeah. like I'm doing my draft. You know, that's whatever. <laughs> yeah. Juggle a lot of balls. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. That's just my third show today. Like, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? Thing, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, you poor thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I think this is a game that USC should win by multiple touchdowns like three touchdowns but it's you know you we've seen usc struggle coming out of the gate um the trojans have played like sort of group of five teams in the past that were like 
really good the year before, like a Western Michigan, but they lost a lot of dudes. This is a team that hasn't lost a lot. Brett Brennan's like one of the hotter coaching 19 names. returning starters. Now, yeah, you know, lose a couple of receivers, certainly. Um, you know, there's some production loss there. You know, Starkle's been everywhere. He's, you know, he was recruited. Double transfer. Was recruited to UCLA. Then, you know, Noel Mazzoni goes to Texas A&M. He gets recruited there. Mm -hmm. He ends up going to Arkansas. Like, started games in the SEC. I mean, so he's got experience. It's not like this guy's going to be a deer in headlights Mm -hmm. when he rolls out into the Coliseum. Uh, But so, I, you know, it's a a couple really good defensive ends for uh, San Jose State. And USC's got two freshman tackles starting. The depth chart just came out today. We can talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. Um, there's definitely some reasons for concern. This is not going to be a rollover team. It was going to be UC Davis. Uh, and now it's uh, San Jose State. And, you know, a team that uh, they had to – they couldn't even do fall camp in in you know, Santa Clara County. They had to go to Humboldt, like 400 miles away. And they end up going undefeated and, and beating a good Boise State team – in the Mountain West Championship game. So I, this is a game USC can't take lightly, but if you just look it up, all the all the X's and O's, you know, like it's X's and O's are one thing. It's the Joes, right? It's yeah. like what are the Jimmys and Joes, and you look at all the, the Jimmys and Joes are better on USC's side. So yeah. this is a team that should USC should win, but if they struggle, if they have a hard time, uh, you know, protecting Keaton Slovis, if they can't get, uh, you know, short yards run, you know, run situations and, and, you know, punch those through where they should, like they you know, trouble with last year, I think the defense is going to be better. I think special teams are going to be really good. The biggest question is probably on offense. Uh, there's not a lot of returning production as far as like receivers go outside of Drake London. Like yeah. the only other guy on the team that's caught a pass in Cardinal Gold is John Jackson. He's only caught one, but you know Taj Washington's supposed to start. He's got a lot of experience at Memphis. Yeah. So, yeah, I think USC should handle business. But if they don't, there's there's some good reasons why because San Jose State's a pretty good team and. Probably means USC stubbed their toe a little bit. Yeah, bit. but, you know, I don't – not not to be too critical, uh, being a Trojan faithful, and I'm sure all the Trojan fans out there, we always expect our team to be competing for a Pac-12 championship in a playoff, no matter what the circumstances may be. That's just what comes with the territory of being, you know, a Trojan. But I don't think that this – even if we won the game, if we win by a touchdown or two, to me, that's, that's not okay. You know, that's not uh-huh. something you want week one, especially with, you know – the schedule you're looking ahead, I mean, you got teams like Utah and BYU and Arizona State who's up and coming in the Pac-12. And then, mm-hmm. you know, UCLA with Chip Kelly and his gadget offense where he's going to throw a thousand different formations at you. A team like San Jose State who runs a 11 personnel and you know what they're going to give you and you know that you have better athletes than theirs. Most most of the time you have better athletes than them. It's not okay to win a game like this by a touchdown or two. So I, I predicted they'd win 42-24. Nice. Uh, I think that's a realistic you know, prediction. I, I, think that's, I think that's a realistic expectation right. as well, that this is a team like we've seen Mike Bone come in and really upgrade everything around the football program you know so clay helton has everything at his disposal to you know better coaches better recruiters video every, whatever you need the support system around clay helton and the team is way better yeah. and i feel like the expectation you have your setting is correct like if you win this game by you know usc went five and zero last year but you look at like the arizona game like they were on a 12 game losing streak and you beat them in the last minute like i don't think i agree with you i don't think that's okay this is a game you should win comfortably by three touchdowns and feel pretty good about it and yeah. if you don't if you win by like 10 you're like yeah you, you won the game you gotta look yourself in the mirror at that point because yeah. then it's early in the season and yeah again we're playing san jose state and they were their their conference champions respectively but you know 
we this has to be a convincing win just to yeah. set the season off right because we can't roll into week two. I, we, I think we have Stanford. Stanford week two? Yeah. yeah, you yeah. can't roll into you know Stanford week week two off of a ten point win against San Jose State because then that tells Stanford that you know they're vulnerable. That yeah. tells Stanford like oh they they're not the team that we think they are. So you know you got to come out, put your foot on their necks early, and and not just to you know establish who you are in the pack but to get some of these young guys experience yeah yeah, yeah. What, what was your feelings archaeology just yeah, like good. in the locker room so if you have a game where you know you should win you know you play oregon state or something and you squeak out a win and yeah. uh you know for you it sounds like you would be like not happy about it you know we know clay helton and he's going to put a positive spin on everything if you win it was like a hard-fought battle they yeah. we've faced adversity or all that stuff but how do you guys handle that in the locker room if you're like man we shouldn't have won that i mean we should have won that by a lot more well that, that's when leadership falls on your your captains and, and your and your older guys because you don't want freshmen on the team that are you know that are happy to just be playing college football and happy to be wearing the you know the cardinal and gold and have that trojan on a helmet to be like oh we won the week one it's it's like celebrate no you you want your older guys to be like no this is not the status quo around here this is not what is acceptable we should have not only beat this team we should have you know scored three or four additional touchdowns and had the twos or threes in the game again no disrespect to san jose state but this is the ex expectations that as all trojan fans and trojan favor we have for the team so yeah it's that's something that you definitely want your older guys and leaders on the team to establish the the status quo needs to be we dominate you know we we come in here professionally we're prepared we're ready we perform to the best of our abilities mm -hmm. Now, Sue, you, we've seen you at practice a couple times during fall camp. What's your evaluation of this team, and like, what is your expectations heading into this season? I I, I like this team. You know, I, yeah. I've been to a few practices, and like, I was looking at our skill positions and our skill position there. We're I feel like we're really loaded at skill position. Even guys that we don't necessarily know. Like I was I've seen a few walk on guys where I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a nice move right there. <laughs> Like, well, who is that? And somebody's telling me, oh, he's a walk-on. Oh, that's a walk-on. So that's that. I mean, that's good to see that even the talent of our walk-ons could be D1s elsewhere. Yeah, there's like Matt Colombo is pretty Columbia, good. Yeah. yeah, the running back was like, he's, yeah, that, that guy's, he's hard to tackle. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I've, I've been looking. Uh, I like a lot of the young guys. You know, Michael Trigg, he, he that man, he's a freaky. Uh, he's freaky. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I know we all saw the one-handed catch and, yeah, and yeah, eight, yeah. maybe six or seven defenders miss and just got and <laughs> wouldn't go down. Like, I, I see him all the time and I'm like, yeah, you're going to be. You're going to be special if you stay focused. Like, and then obviously Corey Foreman, you know, he's a freak. You see him in person, he, you know, just bigger than everybody else and, you know, a Corona Centennial guy. So I guess yeah. a, a distant rival of my alumni high school. So, you know, he's <laughs> these, these young guys, they, they show promise for the future. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Corey Foreman, when you are a young guy coming in with all that expectation on you as a player, what's the, what's the, uh, perception like as a player to have all those expectations on you yeah well I mean he kind of put a target on his back when he grabbed that zero because he, <laughs> yeah. he's going to be the first player ever in USC history to wear zero I would have wore zero if it was an option that's really? to me that's dope so <laughs> him wearing zero that's that's already enough attention but then being a five-star and being as highly touted as he was a recruit coming out of high school and then being a California guy going to the home school the whole state is behind you and they have expectations of what you should be doing so that's a lot to carry as a 17 18 year old kid to have yeah. on your shoulders and then go out on that field and be able to perform to those uh, and live up to those expectations but I think he can handle it I think he's you know he's he's poised to have a, a big year and it, it doesn't hurt to have a guy like Drake Jackson on the other side taking a lot of attention away from you yeah that definitely makes sense Keely and I did a podcast earlier and we were going through the depth chart and I will, we, we don't have to go through the whole thing but we can sure. talk about that later but one, one of the things we noticed is you got Dante Williams coaching secondary you know coaching the corners uh Craig Nivar 
coaching the, the safeties. Both are just gregarious recruiters, different styles, but like really are great recruiters. And you look at the starters and it's like all veterans and then all like four and five star dudes like underneath. It's like, it's like a perfect, like this is what how you want to build your roster. I don't think other positions are built that way, but what is your assessment of the secondary? Because it just seems like there are talented guys. Right. Ever, like the third string guys are like, Prophet Brown or Sierra Wright, they're like, yeah, that guy could start for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, I saw Sierra Wright make a few plays at the one practice I went to or he had a pick and, and he was making tackles and he's only about, I'd say he's only about 180 pounds soaking wet and yeah. he's out there throwing his body into guys and not scared of contact. And that's, that's encouraging to see with these young guys. And then obviously we have Isaiah and we have uh, – IT and uh, and uh, and a bunch of other and Chris Steele that are you know, going to lead the defense. Yeah. I actually sat in on the DB meetings this week, and uh, it was actually refreshing to see how smart these DBs are. And it wasn't just like, oh, the starters are answering the questions, and the freshmen are just soaking it in. Like, no, coach was calling on the freshmen. Freshmen knew the answer to the defense. They knew the audibles. They knew the formations, the things they like to do. I sat in with Dante, Dante, a great coach, yeah. and yeah. he he holds everybody to the same caliber of responsibility to where, you know, it's next man up. Somebody goes down, and you need to be as prepared as as, as if you were starting. So um, I, the strong point, I think the strong point of this defense might just be the DB core. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with the I mean, Greg Johnson, uh, you know, Chase Williams. It's like all veterans, but there's really good players right underneath. Caitlin Bullock's pretty good too. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. He, that young freshman. He's I like him. He has a nice little yeah, swag to him when he walks around. <laughs> yeah, he's he the does. backup to uh, Greg Johnson, I think. Right? He's yeah, playing yeah, the nickel. Yeah, on the depth yeah. chart right now. Um, but one of the storylines we were watching in 2020, Sua, was just the new defensive staff. They didn't really have a spring camp to install their scheme. Uh, it was a rush training camp to play in 2020. Now is the first time that they've had spring camp under their belt, fall camp. How much will that help this defense now that they've actually been able to have some time to really uh, get comfortable with Todd Orlando's scheme? Yeah, pre preparation is key, and having a full year under your belt to not only learn the defense but you know to get comfortable with it because you can learn the defense but if you haven't really gotten reps in it and, and live reps against an offense moving at fast pace you don't really know how to play the defense because you know all defenders will say yeah like, I know my playbook but it doesn't really play like that those X's and O's once we're on the field things change and there's certain ways and certain shortcuts where you can get to a spot faster or you know certain angles you can take to you know break down on the tackle a little bit better. So I'm expecting the defense. I mean, they they performed well last year, yeah. but I, I expect them to carry that energy from last year and have a certain preparation that makes them almost next level. Yeah. And, and they should be able to compete to be one of those top uh, defenses in the Pac-12. It's funny. We talked to Todd Orlando, uh, I think it was in the spring when he told us this. He's like, you know, that when they came in, they didn't really have, they didn't have any spring football. They were, you know, working out with Zooms and all that stuff. Like they weren't able to meet with the guys. And he said he just wasn't able to install the kind of culture right. that he wanted with this defense. But having, you know, a full spring practice and like the summer workouts and player run practices and then fall camp where you're actually getting ready for the games. Uh, I mean, I it made sense to me. Sometimes coaches just talk and there's like coach speak. But I, that, what he said there made sense to me. Did it Did it make sense to you? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it boils down to something as simple as swarming to the ball. If you get a team where you couldn't get them in the spring and you couldn't, you could barely get them in the fall, swarming to the ball is not going to be your culture because you didn't get to practice it. So in the game, when you have guys running off pure adrenaline trying to swarm to the ball, but they're not necessarily in shape to do that every play, that's when injuries occur. That's when guys start taking plays off. You have mental lapses. Now you're getting you're giving up chunk plays and big plays and making mistakes you wouldn't make. But now you have a full year being able being able to establish that culture and there's something as simple as 
running to the ball and group tackling. Now that just becomes second nature. So it's, it's stuff as little as that that can make or break a defense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've seen this team tackle. I know physicality has been a question for the past couple of years, but it seems like Todd Orlando and his staff has made this team more physical, trying to tackle better. Have you seen that at practice? Well, if there's a lack of physicality, I can just rely on Kavai Mauga to, to erase all of that doubt because <laughs> there's a few games last year where I was like, oh, he's just getting kicked out for targeting right there because he just <laughs> destroyed some running backs and he gets off blocks so well. And once he gets going downhill, I, I'm taking, I'm putting my money on him over any running back that has the ball. So that, again, these older guys, are, it's up to them to set the tempo and physicality should not be a problem, especially with linebackers like him. Mm-hmm. All right. We actually have a live caller on the line. So I'm going to go to him in a second. Give me a second. Hold on. It's nice to meet you, by the way, Keely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I believe Jagger is on the line. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, guys. Thanks for uh, taking my call. I just had kind of two questions. Uh, one, kind of regarding the depth chart, if there was any surprises or anything that kind of took you back with the depth chart being released today. For me, it was kind of personally just seeing that Joseph Manjack was named a starter. I don't really think anybody saw that coming when we saw, like, his recruiting prowess and everything like that. Um, but, and for Sua, if there was any young guys on the defensive side of the ball that have kind of stood out to you so far in camp. Yeah, you want, we can start with that one, and we'll do the depth chart. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I said it before. Um, Kalen Bullock, man, he's he's a guy that just has this certain type of swag to him where, you know, he's kind of a quiet guy like Leon McQuay. No, remember, yeah, kind yeah. of quiet like yeah. Liam McQuay, but just a freakish athlete. But then he gets and, the interception in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then he just makes the play that saves the season and makes it one of the best Rose Bowls to ever happen. So I think he has the potential to be one of those great safeties, another line, another great safety that comes in and USC just reloads him year in and year out. But I think he has the potential to be great. And I, I, again, he's he might not be starting currently and he might not, you know, be getting as much playing time as some other guys, but this is a guy I think you should keep your eye on and just check his progression because he's very mature. He's He has high level of awareness to be a freshman that just was playing high school ball a year ago. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how he grows. Yeah, for sure. And then surprises on the depth chart. So, I mean, he mentioned Joseph Manjack. Like, I thought he was someone that – I think they're going to use more of a rotation of the receivers, but the, the fact that he was listed as a starter is – you know, he's – everyone you talk to, you like, they, the first name they say is Manjack, you know? Yeah, I mean, we saw him in scrimmages get first-team reps, be a starter at, at the start. So, I mean, that is not as surprising, especially given the fact that the receiving core, like you said, Ryan, is just kind of up in the air right now outside of Drake London. So but we saw, like, Michael Jackson get first-team reps, and he was, like, listed as third string. Uh, yeah, Malcolm behind. F, we haven't seen much of at all we saw a lot of michael trigg and he's listed ahead of trigg so there's a few i mean we thought Cortland ford and jonah monheim were going to be the tackles though it is weird you know for a veteran like jalen mckenzie to get you know to be allocated to the you know six man on that i mean that, yeah. that's gotta be tough for a veteran i would think yeah but i mean we we have to keep it in perspective that you know graham harrow does run the air raid and how that means a lot of balls going down the field and guys are going to need subs. So just because you're fourth or fifth on the depth chart doesn't mean you're not going to play. doesn't mean you're not going to get your opportunity. And it only takes one. It only takes one play where you show that, oh, I, I belong on this field to, to, you know, to contribute to the team. So um, as a receiver and as a competitor, yeah, you want to be that guy. You want to be in the position of Drake London. You know, you want to be looked at as the go-to guy. But I wouldn't count yourself out just because you're, you know, four or five or six on the depth chart. You're going to get your fair, a fair 
fair share of chances. What about for like a Jalen McKenzie who started for a couple of years and then is... Yeah, it's humbling. Uh, and again, that plays into your mental strength. And uh, the worst thing that you can do in this position is pout or, or, or you know, get discouraged and, and let that the body language show. Because then not only is that going to, you know, speak volumes to the coaching staff, that's going to speak volumes to your team because now it's not about winning. It's about yeah. you. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want that. You know, you, you need a locker room guy. And, and no matter your frustration, it's okay to be frustrated. But at the same time, use that frustration as motivation to get back to the position that you were. Mm-hmm. Overall, what's the the mood like in the locker room when the first step chart comes out? <laughs> Man, <laughs> I was on the bus. So my freshman year, before we went to Hawaii and flew to Hawaii, I was on the bus and uh, Kiffin did things differently. And he yes. released <laughs> he released the starters like uh, a day or two before we were going to fly to Hawaii. And I was on the bus. So I didn't even know if I was playing. I, I was like, this, Clancy was a hard-nosed coach at that point. So I'm like, I might get redshirted for all I know. I was with the ones last week and he put me with the threes this week. So I'm not <laughs> sure. And I just got a text like, oh, you're starting. So um you know, it was it's fun to see, but at the end of the day, like these, it's week one, and it's more of like a test, a testing starting depth chart, if you will. Because okay. you know, there's going to be guys that you know show that they're not necessarily ready to play, or even really know their playbook that get named starters, and so there might be a completely different group that starts next week. So again, it's it's fun to see you opening and starting the opening, but. It's nothing that you can rest your hat on. Yeah. So when coaches say like it's not written in stone, that's not just coach speak. That's actually real. no. That's that's true. I I'm, again, Clancy Pendergrass. I had a bad game against Arizona State my freshman year. I had two picks at this point. True freshman. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm I'm that guy. And <laughs> he came in meetings was like, if you ever put this on film again, I will redshirt you. Oh, wow. And I'm like a five star thinking like you can't talk to me that you know that <laughs> I was in for a rude awakening. Yeah, it's wow. definitely never set in stone. What'd you do? What'd you put on film that oh, got man. him so upset? <laughs> if Clancy's watching this, he was probably cussing at the TV right now. <laughs> I can tell you what he did, but I definitely gave up three chunk plays in a row. Oh no. Thinking that you know, trying to be cute like I'm a bluff here. And uh, Arizona yeah, yeah. State hit me with a hot route three plays in a row for like 70 total yards. Oh, no. And, yeah, and I didn't hear the end of that. So, yeah, and I had to pick that game, too. It didn't matter. Like, wow. the film session the next week, Clancy let me have it in front of the entire defense. I wasn't just the individual, oh, okay. the entire defense. And he humbled me real quick. What but, do you do? Do you, like, put your hood up a little bit? Like, well, again, if you pout, you're going to get benched. Great point. And okay. if you talk back, you're going to get benched. So, you know, just you know, you take your, your face beating and you move on and, you know, just learn from it. How much is a motivating factor, like, Knowing that, you know, even practice or whatever, that you could get called out for like loafing or just or whatever it is, like some bad plays in a row in a meeting. Like it could be the defensive meeting or it could be your position group meeting, right. whatever it is, like being like, Sue is screwed up here. Like is that they're like motivating factor, like I don't want to be called out in front of my yeah there. i mean yeah it, it all depends on the guy like there, there's some guys where you can't really go too hard on or they'll shut down on you and, yeah. and you don't want that because if this guy's like your best db like obviously you want to keep him and hold him accountable but you don't want him to quit on you mentally yeah. so there's guys that you know you have to know their personalities and you know clancy knew i was one of those guys where you can you know get and dig out a little bit and it's going to motivate me to be better but uh, i know there were some guys where it was like yeah i don't want to mess up simply off that reason right there so i'm <laughs> not going to mess up wow interesting i've yeah. talked to some players who like in game they're like oh, i don't want to watch this on film like, oh, yeah. does, does that happen oh every foot any football player that says that he had a bad play and didn't think about it is a liar right? <laughs> okay. you definitely you can be in the the, the 
closest game of your life and you missed a tackle and it didn't even go up the field. Like it got tackled for loss by somebody else, but in your head for the next two or three plays, you're like, I can't believe I missed that tackle. <laughs> I missed that tackle. I'm going to see it on film. So, I mean, that's a part of being a perfectionist and you're going to yeah. be a competitor too. So you kind of, you want that attitude, but you don't want it to hang with you. Yeah. What, what is the uh, saying? Like you got to be a goldfish. That's like the Ted Lasso thing, be a goldfish. You have yeah, to have like a 10 second memory. memory. Yeah. Um, especially as a DB, right? Like you can't, you can't, dwell on it because you can get beat over the top the very next play that's one thing i can say justin wilcox engraved in my head because i would i remember i always wanted to be perfect i never wanted to be like see you're the reason that this first down happened or you know you gave up this play i always wanted to be perfect and when we played ucla my junior year uh duarte caught a touchdown on me it was my first ever touchdown i had given up in my oh. career in wow. coverage and like i used to hang my hat on that like i've never given up a touchdown and when he scored on me like something in my head was like was glitching. I'm like, this didn't just happen. I can't believe this just happened. And Clancy grabbed me, or not Clancy, uh, Wilcox grabbed me by my face mask. Let it go. Yeah. Wow. I know what's on your head. Let it go. And yeah. then I snapped out of it and he didn't catch a ball on me the rest of the game. Oh, that's Look awesome. That. Well, yeah. then, what are you, what are your just thoughts about Wilcox and his rise at Cal? Man, I mean, it made sense. Uh, he was a very qualified coach and a very smart defensive mind. And yeah, he did a great job uh, when he first got into to Cal. I know he surprised a lot of people. He had a quarterback do like a, a double front flip into the end zone at one point. Like his kids looked like they were ready to, you know, they were ready to really put it on the line for Justin. So he's done a great job at Cal. I wish they'd go back to Nike jerseys, though. I don't, uh, you know, that's just my personal opinion. Okay. I don't really rock with know. the pinstripe Under Armour. The Nike jerseys were mm -hmm. nice. Good to know. Good to know. Okay, we actually have another caller on the line, so I'm going to bring him up. It's our buddy Dave from Iowa. If it'll come up. Hello, you're live Hello, on television. Yeah. Hello. Hey, it's Dave from Iowa once again. Uh, so, Ryan, I saw your article earlier about USC dropped to the number two most talented team in the, in the conference. So my question is, with this team, I mean, it truly seems like it's kind of like, it, it kind of seems like this season is kind of like winter bust for Clay Halton, no offense. So my question is, uh, in terms of like week by week, uh, in terms of week by week, should the reasoning just be, you know, oh, you know, we're, we're, more, we're more talented than the other opponent, we should win? Should there be more reasons to it? Because especially after last season, what, win, barely winning five out of the last six games or four out of the five games or whatever, it truly really seems like it's not just talent. The coaching is involved, right? Uh, sure, Dave. Yeah, I mean, coaching is always involved. And so what he was referring to is 24-7 uh, sports every August – comes out with their uh, talent composite. So basically they take like all the recruiting rankings, but they look at your roster. It's not just like, hey, your class of 2019 was awesome. Well, half the team, half the guys left, right. they're not on your team anymore. Right. So they look at your whole roster and then they kind of give you a recruiting ranking for whatever is left on the roster. You have this many five stars, this many, what? now people develop and they, you know, whatever, but it's, it's based on the high school rankings. And they started in 2015 uh, Britton Covey's first year. Uh, we were just talking about that. Um, and USC was number one in the Pac-12 the whole time. They were actually number two in the country behind Alabama to start. And then it was like number four, number four. And now it's dropped down to 10. But this was the first year Oregon actually passed USC. The interesting thing, Dave, though, is if you look at USC's schedule, USC still has the highest talent uh, composite ranking of any team on the schedule because they don't play Oregon. Uh, and even Notre Dame is, is listed below USC. So USC should still have a talent advantage. USC normally has a talent advantage, yeah. and it doesn't. But there's other th other factors in play, obviously. Yeah, no, I mean, talent never is just the answer. I mean, look at that 2012 year where USC was the number one team in the nation, and they had every weapon that they could possibly have on offense and defense, and they end the year seven and six. Yeah. So, 
talent obviously helps and it, it, it fills holes and gaps in your defense and offense that, you know, if you don't have those guys, it's going to be a major problem. Whereas for if you have a few five-star guys on both sides of the ball, you can kind of hide those issues. But in the end, it comes down to preparation, coaching, and execution. And the coaches can only do so much uh, to prepare the players to get ready to play. At the end of the day, the players have to go out there and execute. And, you know, it doesn't always happen even when you have the talent. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks, Dave, for the call. We appreciate it. I'm actually going to jump into questions and start off with a couple that are directed towards Sua. Coley asked, what was the best away game atmosphere that you remember? Ooh. Hmm. I would say Notre Dame my freshman year. Okay, he's a Notre Dame fan that watches the show, so he probably just Oh, you're gonna, he's jumping through. Never mind. Yeah. I, never mind. <laughs> Check. No, that no, was Notre Dame. Uh, when they had the grass, I think they they were still mowing it at that time. And they, they had the grass, and their, the stadium was packed, and it was a night game, and it was cold. And we stayed in Michigan City. I don't even know where that is on the map, but we stayed there the night. So it was like a nostalgic feeling because these were the games I would play on NCAA growing up, like oh, Notre Dame. Oh, this is crazy rivalry. So I definitely had a deer in the headlights moment coming out the tunnel against Notre Dame. And the okay. fans were actually throwing stuff on us in the tunnel when we came out, which was cool to me because I'm like, yeah, this is what you live for. So <laughs> Nice. Very nice. And people always ask, how much can you hear fans when you're playing? Or is it just kind of – does it drone out for you? Well – at Notre Dame Stadium, our sideline and our bench is literally it's like, like right there, they're yeah. right behind us. So they we they could tell the plays the same plays we were going over. And <laughs> yeah, so you can definitely hear the fans, especially when on away games, especially if you're losing. Mm -hmm. Walker Lamer wanted to know, Sua, from a player's perspective, um, how does the USC fan base and media calls for Clay Helton to be fired affect the players? I mean, that's stuff that you ignore. Uh, I mean, I dealt with that my, my freshman year with, you know, Kiffin and, and Sark. And you hear the, the, the roars and, and the chants of the crowd, and it, it doesn't help at all, to be honest. You know, you, you have a team focused on winning games and trying to, you know, put the best product they can out there and put their best foot forward. And, you know, as a fan base, you should want to motivate your team to, you know, perform to their absolute best, understanding that you can be upset and, and disappointed with the results that you're getting. But, you know, you never want to, you know, put down a team. So when, when you're chanting those things or, you know, saying those things about the team's head coach, this is our leader at the end of the day. And live like it or not, we're going to have to live and die by him. And, and that's just how the, the, the cards fall. So um, I, we can understand the frustrations, but at the end of the day, we want to keep things positive. We want to, you know, make sure these kids know that the fans have their back because we do it for the fans and we do it to hear them scream and roar and cheer for us. So, you know, it's, a, it's something you just have to ignore as a player. Makes sense. And Ryan, I believe you want me to put up, is it a question? Yes, it is. It's from Mark who says, Keely and Ryan, what's your overall assessment of the level of physicality at camp this year compared to previous fall camps you've covered? And Sua, how does it compare to camps that you took part in? Yeah, if you want, you can start if you no, want. You got it. You got it. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think there was probably, I would say the, the spring practices, there was more just like full out physicality. Like they would start it with those Trojan drills, the Oklahoma drill kind of things and stuff. But there were definitely more, I think they maximized the number of live tackling periods you could have and full pads practice you could have. There's there's definitely been limitations put on by the NCAA. And I think USC just took advantage of whatever they could do. But there was, you know, it's not going to be as like the two a days where you're doing full pads. Both like you, They're not doing that kind of stuff anymore. It's not allowed to. Well, yeah. yeah. When I was a freshman, we definitely were doing two a days. <laughs> and we definitely were doing live tackling periods and two hit and drill periods per practice and live special team periods. And 
Not live special look. teams. Wow. Yeah, yeah, live special team period. So, and when you got a guy like Soma Vanuku running oh, down, man. trying he to tear was... some, yeah, yeah. exactly. He's <laughs> two hundred eighty-five pounds running full speed. So those were things that kind of they kind of toughened us up, and I think that's why we beat teams like Stanford and we're able to compete with the bigger teams with with like Utah and things like that. But it's it's a, a completely different world now. I mean, with the you know NCAA regulations and you know the things you yeah. can and can't do, um, it's not as much work. And the, the game has become a lot more mental for these players. But uh, you kind of do miss those times where you could strap it up and, you know, you know, bang it out with, with, with the first team offense, first team defense, just to see the level of physicality you're at. Yeah. Uh, we got a couple of questions about this. And Sua, you are a former team captain, so your insight will be interesting. People want to know what your thoughts are about Keen Slovis not being a name, not being named a team captain. How much does that matter in the grand scheme of things if your quarterback's not named that? Um, I mean... I guess in the locker room as like personal emotion, it matters. Like, of course you want your team to, you know, think that you're a captain and rely on you as a captain. And ultimately, even if he doesn't have that C on his chest, he is the captain. Like we're going to yeah. go as far as he takes us. So you don't need a C for, you know, validation as to, you know, how your leadership is. And um, I mean, I, on the other side, he can take it as a wake-up call as, you know what, that's fine. No, let me use this as motivation and let me show you guys, not only am I the captain, but I'm going to be the reason why, you know, we win these games. I'm going to be the reason why I you know, I bring USC back to that place of uh, of where we used to be. How does that voting stuff work? And could it could it be something like, you know, LeBron James is the best player in the NBA, but he doesn't get the MVP. It goes to like Steve Nash or something. Yeah. Like you just know he's like, you just know that the, you know, the quarterback's a captain and like maybe you don't get as many votes because you're like, yeah, he's the captain. But. Well, like. You know, it can be a guy that's just he doesn't even play and you know, he's a locker room guy and everybody loves him, so everybody votes for him and he's not gonna get a C on his chest. Like there's also there's gonna be <laughs> some too, yeah. correction going yeah. on when it comes to who's the captain. But um I mean the uh, the voting is mostly the players. Um, as I think it is predominantly the players at, uh, and putting who they think de deserves it and um again, I don't think this is like make or break for Keaton. Uh, just take it as motivation. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we've heard from players. He's still a leader on the team. So yeah, 100% he's the captain. Yeah. 100%. Uh, we got a question from Brian on Facebook who said, uh, would love to hear from Sua before the NFL, no knock on anyone, which coach made you the, made the biggest impact on you and your football growth individually? Wow. Okay. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah no, that's a good one. Uh, Peter Sermon. Okay. He definitely taught me how to use my hands, taught me how to play with technique. He slowed the game down so much for me to be able to get guys that were 100 pounds heavier than me because at one point I was basically playing on the D-line and going against left tackles and he yeah. taught me hand placement that allowed me to make a lot of plays so thanks to him I was able to play inside linebacker in the NFL and then uh, Clancy Pendergrass you know he just he taught me accountability he taught me how to be mentally tough and he taught me that it's never uh, never take this game for granted because it can be taken away from you, not just because of injury, but, you know, because a coach is going to take it away from you if you don't keep performing. So, you know, those two guys probably had the biggest impact on me. Interesting. I don't know if you saw, there was a couple of practices where they did a drill that was actually right in front of the media pen where we get to hang out. And they brought all the tackles, the offensive tackles, and then they brought the safeties and they would basically just do pass rush drills, mm -hmm. like pass rush. And it was, it was kind of fun to see uh, doing that, like kind of working on, like you said, like, you you know, you'd have your hand on the ground sometime. You're like basically playing on the defensive line, yeah. trying to rush the passer. Like, did you get to do drills like that much in practice, or yeah. do, do you like when they do those kind of things? Excuse me. Yeah, no, that it doesn't hurt to work on all facets of your game. And as a safety, you're not going to get too many rushes off the edge where you're one on one with the tackle. You might get the running back that steps up and in a five zero protection. But excuse me. Um, 
Yeah, you, you want to work on those things, and it definitely helps. And, and when you get to the league, if, if you're blessed enough to you know, get drafted and, and have an opportunity to play in the NFL, they're going to see all the things that you can do. And the more things that you can do, the higher your stock is. So as a young guy or as a player on the team, I wouldn't be turning down any type of extra work just to you know make my value go up as a player. You mentioned uh, dealing with tackles. You showed a lot of versatility as a Trojan. What was that like for you to, to kind of have, have a hybrid role the, the later you were in your career? Uh, I mean – for the team, it worked out great. You know, for the team, I was because I'm a diehard Trojan, so I just wanted to win. So if that meant I had to play safety this down, corner the next, outside linebacker for this one, D line, I was going to do it, and I was going to you know try to take on as much as I could that could help the team. But selfishly, I kind of wish I didn't do that stuff because I didn't have a, a position that was really defined for me, and that mm -hmm. kind of ended up being a problem as my as my career uh, progressed because got to the point where it's like oh well he's too big to play safety and he's too small to play linebacker and you know we don't know what he's really great at and we know he makes a lot of plays but you know can we put him in that position and without putting somebody else out of position so you know selfishly I wish I could have just stayed at safety or just yeah. completely moved to inside linebacker and just been defined as one position and learned how to master that but uh, like it did help with my draft stock with being able to play so many positions but when it came down to a team's personal needs it was hard for them to define exactly what I was interesting yeah. that's rough uh, and mentioning a, another tweet that you had you tweeted about Jackson Dart and we got a lot of questions about your thoughts on Big Jackson baller. Dart <laughs> yeah Share with us what you've seen and, and your thoughts on that him. That boy Jackson, I had a good uh, long conversation with him in the locker room this week. And he's just, man, he's a guy that carries himself with that swag, like kind of like what Cody Kessler had. And I have, Cody had like a cowboy swag, though. <laughs> Bakersfield you know, he had Bakersfield, you know, station wagon <laughs> swag. But Jackson Dart is coming with the one sleeve at practice, the J's on, he's throwing dimes, he's launching he's a cannon on him he has the the the, fl the hair flowing out the back of the helmet like there's like what do you not like about this kid and, he, and he's just a I, I like him he has that confidence and he's a natural leader and you can just tell like the young guys really like they, they gravitate, they gravitate to, him. to him no matter even if he's not in the game like, on the sideline you see a lot of people coming up to him asking him questions and you know you don't necessarily see that with a freshman quarterback that's not even starting so yeah. he has those natural leadership traits and you know, he's probably he's going to be a if, if Keaton decides to leave this year and, you know, and pursue his dreams. I, I think USC is in great hands. Nice. Very nice. Uh, station wagon swag. Is that, even a, <laughs> is that a, a thing? I'm not sure. Uh, Tony wanted to know who's your favorite Trojan ever, Sua? I mean, I think we can all guess it. No. Reggie Bush. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like <laughs> Reggie Bush, hands down. Like This man was flipping in the end zones. And I think USC at a time was the only team that would be in like a third and 15 and run a draw up the middle because that was like <laughs> the equivalent of a pass play because you have Reggie. So, yeah, hands down, Reggie Bush. That's What's it fun. like for you now that he's now associated with the school again? I, I think it's dope. I think the NCAA needs to give him his Heisman back and stop, you know, being the fun police and just give him what he's due. And then I also got to swap jerseys with him his last year in the NFL. Wow. And it actually got stolen by some movers when I got <gasps> traded to Denver. No. So, oh. Reggie, if you see this, I need a jersey because <laughs> mine's is gone. Jer uh, wow. Reggie, please. Please. <laughs> stolen? Got stolen. My, my, my. Last bowl game jersey against Wisconsin got stolen. Oh, no. Reggie Bush jersey got stolen. My Ezekiel Elliott rookie year, almost 2,000-yard rusher jersey got stolen. Oh, man. You guys are freaking. So you swapped with uh, Ezekiel one time? Or... Yeah, after oh. the first time we played. 
Yeah, nice. we swapped and all that. But all nice. that's gone now. So you movers, I wish I knew your company because I would, ooh, I would drag you guys. But yeah, <laughs> Reggie, please let me get go. a jersey, man. You heard Sua. Uh, Andrew on YouTube wanted to know what's our total win prediction for USC this season. Whew, how many games we have this year? Ten? Twelve. Twelve. Yeah, yeah. Uh I unfortunately I see a ten and two season for the Trojans. And I think that's realistic. That's not it's obviously not a bad year, but if you if you ask any Trojan faithful, they're gonna say that's not good enough. But I honestly see a ten and two season. I I'm the same. i I feel the same way. I mean the schedule sets up well for USC. There isn't an Alabama, there isn't a Oregon, there isn't a Washington. Um, I mean, I don't see there's any reason they shouldn't win double digits. Right. Um, you could still win the Pac-12 and be like nine and three, but it, I mean, you're going to be favored. USC will be favored in eleven of the games, like eleven, like probably not on the road at Notre Dame. Every other game, USC is going to be favored in, and um, yeah, I mean, there, I don't think there's any reason why you know USC can't be ten and two. If they're not, if it's like an eight and four season, I think that's a that's going to be a disappointment. Like they have to. To me, you got to win the Pac twelve this year. Like, yeah, I don't think you can go eight and four this year and think that that's going to get the job done. No. I, I, I think that maybe if you won the Pac twelve last year and beat Oregon and played in like a bowl game, win or lose, then now nah, this year would have been like a wash. Then you yeah. could have you could afford maybe three losses, but. Because we came up short against a team that wasn't even supposed to be there. Yeah. And then yeah. they just lost to Oregon State and Cal. Just lost to Oregon State and Cal. And then they come in there and, you know, the way we played in some of that game, we were down like two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. That's, I think that just can't happen. So this season, yeah, I see 10 wins. And yeah, I think anything less than that yeah, it might be a little, a little shaky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, that, I think that's fair. We got a question from Steph for Sua that says, Who is your favorite member of the DB core that you played with at SC? <laughs> okay i mean if i don't say chris hawkins he's gonna, he's gonna get a little attitude and he's yeah. gonna call my phone and i know so you don't know me now <laughs> but if i'm being honest a lot of the things that i learned tackling wise came from Dion bailey okay and you know Dion, he used to say i was his son which you know i had too much swag to be his son he could never produce something like that but no Dion he had was kind the, of hybrid role too though. yeah right? exactly Dion was the guy before i was that guy so yeah. no i learned a lot from Dion, and he taught me things that i wouldn't have learned from anybody else so if i had to choose between crybaby hawk and <laughs> Cry Baby hawk. And, oh, and jerry curl Dion, it'll probably be Dion. <laughs> that's Interesting. awesome yeah. okay uh, Jasper Smith wanted to know, Sua, on a percentage basis, during your recruitment, how much were you USC and who were the others you were considering? Okay. People really want you to spill all those secrets. Okay. So let me put it like this. Um, I committed to USC at the in the middle of my junior year, like probably in like October, November, before I made it official, like I told them I'm coming. And I didn't take not one other visit, not one other official visit. I didn't entertain any other school when schools would call my phone i wouldn't answer facebook they'd message me i would honestly leave them on red like it was like i'm going to usc and then my mom made it perfectly clear if you don't go to usc i would never speak to you again so <laughs> wow yeah she definitely had a lot of say so on my recruiting so but it was it was usc no matter what but i mean if it wouldn't have been usc it most likely would have been an sec school Interesting. I don't really okay. go across. Yeah. Yeah. But you didn't have a desire to like, ah, oh, take free trips places. And like, I mean, oh, of course I dinners. wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> but again, Miss Yolanda Cravens would say, you're, what's, why are you going there? For what? What do you Free mean? dinners. I don't like, care about that. You can get a free dinner at USC. <laughs> so yeah, that's what go. I was dealing with in high school. You always got to recruit mom as well. Yeah. 
Mark Watkins wanted to know as a throwback question, were you surprised when Jalen Ramsey de- decommitted or were you expecting it? Um, and then how would, how fire would that secondary been if he had stayed committed? Well, no, I wasn't surprised because I was at the Army All-American game and they had 14 of the commitments, I believe, at the Army All-American game. And then after the Sun Bowl, you know, we're all eating uh, dinner in the same lobby as you know, with all the other the East and West guys. And, you know, Jalen went from hanging out with the SC guys to, you know, hanging out with more of the Southern guys and, and, the, and the East Coast guys. And then the next thing I hear is like people were decommitting left and right. And before that Army Bowl was even over, I think we had like six or seven decommits. So yeah. it wasn't a surprise. But if we had those te- if we had everybody remain committed and that class would have came to SC, definitely would have been competing for Rose Bowl and national championships like that depth we would have had and the players that that, that they turned out to be. We definitely yeah. would have been the best defense in the Pac-12. Yeah, that was, so you were you were at the Army Bowl that year, right? Yes. Yeah, so I remember like I remember talking to Max Brown because um, I was down there covering you guys, and so the bowl game was going on, and we were like you know at some practice field in San Antonio, like mm-hmm. whatever. What, yeah, was it, it's San Antonio. Yeah, right? San Antonio. Um, and I remember like Max Brown was always like into recruiting. Like he would come up to me like, "So what's going on with this guy?" Or, like, he would like <laughs> talk recruiting with you, which was fun. But he was like. I think it was asking me after like the the practice or whatever it was like we're losing and it was like yeah and it was like it was it sort of went through and then it became a thing right because like yeah. there's a lot of talk on the practice field about like you know you're committed to Texas and he's committed to USC so there's going to be trash talk or whatever but yeah. yeah there was like a lot of talk after that one and there was a lot of college coaches actually at the Army game that 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 showed up I think they showed up the day after the game ended. Yeah, right. I think they could. They used to be able to come. Like, Sark came in like a bus, I think, yeah. if you remember. He came in like a Washington bus. He was the head coach at Washington yeah. at the time. But, yeah, the the head coaches – coaches used to come, and they would, like, set up little suites mm-hmm. and everything. They mm-hmm. stopped all that now. Like, yeah, you know? I mean, I guess that's another recruiting pitch that they're not allowed to do. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like, I remember after USC lost, we came back in from uh, the Army game, and I had a voicemail on my phone, and it was Jim Moore for UCLA. Mm-hmm. And he goes, did you see that performance? You still want to go there? Bruins are waiting, eight clapping. I was like, yeah, let me just delete this voicemail. Like, come on now. But no, it wasn't a surprise. Like, again, seeing all the guys after that seven to six season, all the guys that decommitted, it was kind of like we expected it kind of to happen. You mentioned Sark. We got a question, Sua, for you. What are your thoughts on Sark at Texas? Man, well, I think that that's a great job. I think that's probably be the second best job he'll ever have besides behind the USC job that he had because, you know, why would you want to be anywhere else but USC? But, no, that UT job, he's going to have the same expectations that he had here. He's going to have to recruit in a big state where now he's not just competing with the Big 12. He's going to be competing with the SEC. So, you know, you're going to have to see Nick Saban and, and, and Kirby Smart and all those dudes in the SEC that are, you know, basically taking everything that's in your area and, and surrounding. So I think that he'll have some he'll have success at Texas, no doubt, especially with his offensive mind and those athletes that he has. He'll, you know, take advantage of the Big 12 and, and those defenses these next I think they're two more years but while they're while they're there before they go to the SEC. Well, it just depends. Like they're they gotta do some buyout. So it could be it could be four more years, but it's mm. probably gonna be sooner than that. I actually think the longer he's in the Big Twelve will give him a benefit so he can get not only his recruits in there but establish his offense so that he can actually prep for the SEC because once they do get in the SEC, if his offense is ready to go, it's going to be a problem stopping them because the SEC is not really used to seeing those those offenses that go left or right and have that much speed. So um, I think it'll benefit him. One of the things that's you know new in college football, this name, image, and likeness stuff, any thoughts on uh, – <laughs> 
on that. Like, and, and it's always, you always ask forward players, like, what would have happened if you were yeah. around? Yeah, you know, like. Yeah. Well, when I was a freshman at USC, we had to grind our own peanuts up to make peanut butter to put things into perspective. That. In Galen, wow. we were not allowed to have peanut butter. I think you were allowed to have like bagels, but you weren't no allowed to have peanut, peanut butter. butter. Yeah, because it was a benefit what? that not oh. every student was able or had access to. So they couldn't give us peanut butter. So there was literally a machine and a little like guacamole grinder where you'd grab peanuts or almonds or whatever the, the peanut of your choice was and you'd grind it up right there and spread it on your bagel. So if I had these deals <laughs> especially with the play that was going on i don't think i'll peanut butter would have been the last worry on my mind <laughs> do you have a, a sponsor you would have wanted at the time hmm. you know that panda express hit different on <laughs> campus oh yeah so, so i might have had to I do just a, had that the other day i might have had to do like an orange chicken combo deal or something where <laughs> they like i don't know if they put like a 21 on the orange chicken or something i definitely would have took full advantage of the food deals like that would have been my priority right there Makes i like sense. it that's Very a good one yeah. Yeah. Uh, ryan blaze wanted to know from you uh mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on the updated fan experience given that COVID is happening right now yeah i mean it's obviously uh it's great that the fans are back like you you want to be able to go see a game in person unfortunately with the you know the county that that we're in you know los angeles county there's restrictions that are um a little tougher for the fans to deal with i mean the fact that you have to wear a mask inside the coliseum when you're you know in an outdoor thing that's something that's mandated by the county uh the fact that you know there's issues with just tailgating on campus so mm -hmm. there's definitely some uh some concerns but i feel like a lot of the fans are just going to be happy to be back there there's definitely more limitations than what you would like but i mean if you look at it like we're still in a pandemic it's just I don't know if we're just all tired of it or whatever, but like it's, yeah. it's almost like the same as it was last year, but there's a lot less restrictions and stuff going on. I mean, it's great that people are vaccinated, um, and I think that's going to help a, a lot, but there's still you know issues out there. So I, hopefully it's a good fan experience, but I know it's not going to be exactly what you know people want. Well, I mean, let's just be grateful that we're out there. Let's just be grateful yeah. we can not be trapped in a house and actually be social and go to a sporting event. Because at one point, we, you couldn't, this wasn't even a possibility. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, we can take it as, as much as we can get. So, if you got to be in the Coliseum with a mask on, you know, just, just wear your mask. Uh, and you can yeah. come to the game and enjoy it. It's going to be a little hot. I understand you can, you know, up and down a few times. But <laughs> I mean, just wear your mask. Yeah. Think back to, like, you were watching Tiger King on Netflix. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> Cornhole on ESPN3 or whatever. Like, yeah. So This is a step up, for sure. <laughs> this is definitely an upgrade from Cornhole on ESPN2 at midnight. So, yeah. come yes. on. Like, we'll, we'll be okay. We, will, we yeah. will be okay. Okay, for sure. We had a question from Mayor of Compton for all of us and Sua, who said, uh, who do you guys think is going to be starting at Inside? linebackers this saturday so depth chart wise they had kanai malga basically like at the middle spot and then uh an or with raylan uh go, go forth, forth and raymond scott and raymond scott so um i, I feel like it's going to be like a three person yeah. rotation a little bit yeah and usc they also uh, they have dime packages too so you'll probably see safeties that play that same inside yes. linebacker position when they go 11 personnel and just passing situations so you know, don't get ca too caught up on the depth chart of who's at inside linebacker because there might be a week where, like Stanford, the next week they're going to run the ball if they if they, that's still their mantra. They're going to run the ball 30, 40 times, so you're going to need run stoppers in the game. And then there will be a week where we play Arizona and they're passing the ball every down. So yeah. then you need a dime linebacker and a more athletic inside linebacker. So um, like it's all fit to how, how you need. Yeah, and if you watch, I mean, Shotgun does a great job breaking them down by, you know, each play tells you which formation's out there. And we've seen Todd Orlando just use 
different fronts and different, you know, there's different rotations of, of players. So yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of those guys that are on the two deep, not just the, the yeah. frontline starters that were listed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't get too caught up on the, the first week depth chart. We got a question from Brian on Facebook who said, uh, who was the, which wide receiver or tight end was ridiculously, ridiculously good to you in the NFL? <laughs> so does good to you mean like you covered them well or like, I, yeah, I would think. I mean, George Kittle. Um, Jordan Reed, Travis Kelsey. I mean, that, that studs. That makes yeah, sense. yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they all bring different things. Like Kittle, he's huge. He's very physical, but he runs like a four four. I don't think people understand how fast that man really? is. Like yeah. he's and he's gonna talk trash to you the entire <laughs> game. Like he's definitely a guy where he's just like, man, he's he's hard to cover. And it's not like an assignment you're raising your hand. Like, oh, I want that matchup. But it's gonna be a long day covering him. Jordan Reed's going to make you look silly. Like he's gonna the routes and his f- footwork when he's healthy. Like he's easily top three tight end in the NFL when he's healthy and he's running these routes. Like he made. DJ's routes look like I'd rather guard DJ instead of Jordan wow. Reed because Jordan was just he had that quick twitch and would just make you look foolish. And then Travis Kelsey, like he's a freak. He's a, he's a brother. He's a brother. Like he's <laughs> that <laughs> he has that swag and like he he looks like he's running in slow motion, but you can't touch him. Like he makes you miss and he jumps out the building and puts his back to you. And he's also 6'5", 250 pounds. And it's like, like, how am I supposed to stop this? And then you have Mahomes who can just throw the ball 90 yards behind his head. So it's like, I can't give up on the play. So if you give him an inch, he might take it to the house. So yeah, those are the three guys where I was like, yeah, it's going to be a tough one this week. Yeah, he, he said like the tight end all-time record right last year for like yard, like he had like 1,400 yards or yeah. something wow. silly like that. Yeah, he was just ridiculous. This is kind of piggybacking off of it, and let me know if it's just the same answer. But Andrew wanted to know who's the best player you ever played with or played against. Mm. The best player I ever played with or played against. Um, I got to see up close and personal the Odell Beckham and Josh Norman rivalry when it was still pretty fresh. and. I saw Odell do some things where I was like, I didn't know that was humanly possible. Like, <laughs> well, and he, Odell's a lot smaller in person. Like, okay. he doesn't look as big uh, when you're on the field with him, but he's definitely moving and he's explosive and electric. So I'd probably say, like, from my own personal experience and in-game experience, like that guy, he had like he had it. He was very special to play against. Interesting. This is a random question, but what was it like going up against Chris- Christian McCaffrey uh, in 2015? Man, so. Christian, man. That was the Pac-12 championship Pac-12 game, right? championship We played him twice. Yeah, yeah, and Stanford. I mean, only. Stanford just game-planned the heck out of us because, you know, the first half, you know, not to my own horn, but the first half, they were trying to, like, I think they were trying to run at me and try to, like, say, well, we're not going to run away from you. And I think they learned pretty quick, like, you're not going to be able to run to this side. And me and Christian had a few one-on-ones where I got the better of them. Wow. And they were like, okay. All right, well, we'll just attack these young guys. And then he ended up getting like 300 total yards yeah. in the game off like 20-something carries. And I got a good hit on him late in the game uh, the first time we played him. But Christian McCaffrey, man, he's just a matchup nightmare. It's like, all right, we can't handle the ball up the middle. All right, let's run a sweep with him. Let's run stretch. Let's get – he's going to outrun everybody. Oh, you guys want to put eight in the box? All right, we're going to spread you out with our tight ends like Austin Hooper. Then we're going to leak him out the backfield and get a one-on-one with your slower linebacker and good luck covering him. So he was just a matchup nightmare. And unless you have like four or five guys, that are great at what they do, you're not going to stop them. And Stanford, they, they took advantage of that. We were in the press box for the, at uh, Levi Stadium, and the way it was set up is like the the wall. Like we were up against the wall over here, 
and on right on the other side of the wall were the defensive coaches. And we could hear Justin Wilcox <laughs> just like cussing up a storm. Like yeah. every McCaffrey run is just like so – I mean, I don't know if you heard from him afterwards, but he must have been well, upset. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you watch that Pac-12 championship game, that 2015 game, like – they game planned us so well. They knew that no matter where Austin Hooper was going, I was going to cover him, man. So they they spread him out at number one receiver the entire game and so had, you had me to go out, out there. there. Yeah, wow. and they were running the ball to where I would have been and just getting fifteen yards at a time. And then it was just like, what can you do at this point? Yeah, wow. yeah. yeah. What do you do when something like that's happening yeah. in the championship game? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just. I'll hold you, hold on tight, and just hope we survive. And <laughs> we actually came back. Like, we actually got into the fourth quarter where we were pretty close, and then we gave up that angle route that went for, like, 90 yards, and then they scored to go back up 10, and it kind of just killed all the momentum we had. But I'm not, that, that was a, we didn't have depth, and we didn't have the bodies to, you know, really match up with Stanford that year. Yeah, that makes sense. Michael said, uh, what was your favorite play that you ever made in your career? Whew. Um, Is it hard as a player to, like, categorize that rank that yeah because you know obviously it's nice to score touchdowns and it's it's nice to you know get a big hit or force a fumble but then there's like games where it's like yeah i had a night nice, i didn't have as many plays that game but like i know this play won the game so yeah i would say probably my freshman year against stanford when they were number three i believe or number five in the nation and i got the that pick that set up the game winning field goal oh, okay so that was probably a play where I forever remember in the crowd stormed the field and all that. And Deion Bailey actually forced me to go out to the road that night because I don't party and I didn't like being out and about. And he came to my house at Cardinal Garden and was like, get up, you're coming. I don't care. You're coming. Like, forced me to get in the car and we celebrated. So You weren't a big partier in school or anything? Nah, that, and you can, Cody Kessler can attest to it. I No matter what, no matter if we balled out and I had a heck of a game and me and him were on TV and it did not matter. He'd be like, come on, bro. No. I'm going to stay inside and play FIFA. That's what, <laughs> that's what I'm doing tonight. That's funny. Yeah. Nice. That's kind of Taylor Maisie too, right? Yeah, Taylor was, was kind of like, just like, yeah, I'm just going to yeah. do my own thing. And, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. wasn't really my, right. my, my my thing. Stay out of trouble, you know? Like, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got a question for you, Sue. What was the hardest transition, high school to college or college to NFL? High school to, to college. And just because of the college I went to, and I graduated early, so like, a month before I got to USC and was practicing with USC, I was in a CIF championship game with my high school. So then, you know, my first practice a month later was, oh, I'm guarding Marquise Lee one-on-one in practice. And I'm 17 years old. Like, this should be fun. And then, oh, we got a live hitting drill and Soma Vanuku is running at me full speed trying to murder me. So, yeah, it was definitely a wake-up call. I got humbled my first week of practice at SC. I was like, yeah, I'm not as good as I thought I was. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. There's always – it's always – no matter what we you know we follow recruiting we follow you know the players in college and they go to the NFL it's it's definitely the transition is difficult but sometimes you see guys make one of them easier than others or other you know people just struggle they were great in high school and they just can't do it in college but then they or some are like okay in high school and they like excel in college it's like that transition sort of changes you a little bit yeah i mean just going, the the game in the NFL is just more mental and the, the coaches in the in, on the NFL level they kind of overcomplicate the game so then it becomes like a lot more mental than it does physical because you know at this point we've have our man bodies you know yeah. you've played against the best of the best in college and those are the guys that are on the teams now in the NFL because if you're not good enough you're not going to make the team so yeah. you know what to expect and the guys are just a lot more technical and mental with their with their skills and, and skill sets. So you, those are the things that you kind of pick up from coaching. But just out of pure athleticism, speed, strength, the difference from high school to college is night and day. Yeah, that makes sense. Overall, would you recommend to players to be an early enrollee in college? 
if you want to be a baller, yeah. <laughs> if you want to start as a true freshman and not just start and like, oh, I was out there. Like, you want to make plays and, you know, be a household name. I suggest that you come early and, and, you know, get the cobwebs out and get that spring training under your belt so that you can go into fall actually competing for a starting job and not just to be a body, but to be a playmaker. Yeah. Does it also help with just adjusting to college classes in life without a game on Saturday? Well, yeah. I mean, spring is a lot harder than fall. Really? So you're going to come in the spring and that's as hard as it's going to get because there is no game on the weekends. You just have another practice and you have another hidden drill and you sure. have more conditioning. And then on top of that, you have papers due with no reward of a game on Saturday. So uh -huh. okay, it kind of teaches fair. you to mature because now you have to wake up for 5 a.m. And, and be ready for workouts and then go to a whole day of class and then come back for meetings. So it teaches you and preps you to get ready for what's to come in the fall. But then falls easy because you don't have to wake up at 5 a.m. to work out and you're kind of prepping for a game and things slow down so yeah coming in graduating early and being early and really is like a giant advantage um evan on youtube wanted to know he mentioned when you're talking about your favorite plays he said what about the interception on the first series ever against hawaii in 2013 <laughs> well, i mean that would have been my favorite play if the dang announcer didn't say my name wrong <laughs> like i was so hyped to like look at it on youtube and see like oh i wonder what it's looking like i know my family's going crazy and then the guy goes suya cravens and i'm like dog that's not my name <laughs> like suya where's the y coming from so yeah that kind of put a little salt on that play mm, that's sad right i i didn't get the question that you had up from youtube do you remember what it was oh yeah it's uh yeah so um oh you didn't put it up there i it did was... but it, it oh uh he wanted to know what was the most upside uh, of the players you've seen at USC, is there someone that you just look at and has like a lot of upside? I'm sorry, I forget who it was, but um, yeah, I mean, besides Michael Trigg, I'd say, I'd say Corey Foreman. I mean, I know that's the obvious choice, but you know, he's just he's just so physically ready to play. Yeah, that yeah. you don't really see it. Like a 17 year old kid shouldn't really look like that. Yeah, like that's yeah. not it's not normal <laughs> to look like that. And like. The way he carries himself, like he's still a young pup, though. Like when he speaks and the one when he, the way he carries himself and walks around and talks to people, you can tell, like, oh, he's still a, he's still a kid, but he's walking around with a man's body. So when he comes into his own and puts technique in with that physical ability, he's going to be a problem. Nice, well, a lot of upside there for sure. Yeah, we've reached the top of the hour. Any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap this show up? Well, first of all. This has been awesome. I appreciate so you this coming great. on. I hope you had a good time. This and was I was fun. like, it was great to, I mean, when you were getting involved again, I was like, that's so cool. I'm glad so is yeah. going to be, Su Suya is going to be involved again. <laughs> oh, uh, no. Suya is going to be involved in USC football uh, again. <laughs> and I, I'm you know, congratulations on going back and getting your degree and stuff. But it was, it was really cool that you were going to come back. And then thanks for, for doing this. We could have done it Zoom. Like, it's great to have you here in person. I think, I mean, so yeah, many people were, be here. And yeah, so many people were just like commenting about, you know, loving to watch you play and everything. So that's been, that's been cool. But so thank you for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back. And, you know, when I graduate, I'll be an, a real Trojan. I'll be You're a, a real Trojan. You're a Trojan. Nah, I got to graduate. That's the promise I made my mom. So until then, you know, I'm not really a part of that alumni network. But once I get it, maybe I got a little pool. You know what I'm saying? How much, how much do you have left or? I finished this Christmas. Oh, this Christmas. Okay. Yeah, is, that, yeah, is that hard? Like going, but you take some, you know, a you know, few years off from doing school it's stuff. It's actually a lot easier because I don't have a playbook <laughs> and like five hours of physical activities I need to dedicate myself to. So like when I get homework and readings, I have free time yeah, to actually like, do the I'm homework do and readings. Yeah. But you so. are a dad now too. So you got that. that 
You yeah, know, you got to juggle that. That's funny you said that because my daughter completely ripped a page out of my textbook <laughs> in the middle of me studying the other night, and then my teacher called on me, and I didn't know the answer, so I was like, "Oh, so it was like your dog ate it, but it was your daughter." Yeah, your daughter ripped I it. don't think she's believing that story. Oh, so too bad, yeah, too so. bad. Also, you you told your mom's story. Everyone was thanking your mom in the comments that she was the one who got you to come to USC. <laughs> yeah, so. uh, think about that. I was actually going to go to Florida when Urban Meyer was there. Like wow. when I was a freshman, I was a big Gator fan. Not that I wasn't an SE fan, but like Pete Carroll had just left and you know that kind of hurt my heart seeing him leave and stuff like that so like, I didn't know what was going on with USC so I wanted to go to Florida and I actually was thinking about playing running back for, for Urban Meyer and then when he left huh. yeah when he left Florida like my sophomore year that's when I was like all right yeah USC there you go yeah. very nice all righty well that's gonna wrap up this show once again Sue thank you so much for coming on you're a joy to have on game on saturday so excited to see some football we'll be back on sunday with our reactions so make sure you stay tuned for that 7 p.m on sunday wherever you're watching right now but that's gonna wrap it up for today's show that's sua that's ryan i'm keely we'll see y'all next time